This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. stumble into a moment of pure, blinding astonishment. I'm in a sprawling, wild, dense, tangled forest near the southeastern corner of Australia, and I'm having one of those unexpected moments right now, as you can hear. I've come upon a bird, unabashedly, and I would say appropriately named the superb lyrebird. It's found nowhere else in the world but here in Australia. It's considered by many naturalists and ornithologists and devotees of wild sound to have possibly the most exquisite voice of any bird in the world. Listen to this. been very carefully following this male lyrebird through the forest. He's keeping company with two females. I've been gradually getting closer to him, and now I'm quite close. It's why I'm keeping my voice down. The male is standing on top of a fallen tree trunk. It's about three feet off the ground, and he is letting go with this incredible voice. This is one of the southernmost parts of Australia where we are today, and of course that means it's one of the southernmost parts of the inhabited world. The only major land masses that are farther south than this are New Zealand and then Tierra del Fuego on the southern tip of South America. So we're way down in the temperate latitudes of the southern hemisphere. And you'd know it this morning, even though it's summer, it's fairly chilly, I've got my sweatshirt on. And it's just at sunrise, beautiful, golden, amber, glowing, that I can see through the trees around me. This whole corner of Australia is heavily forested. All around me, tall, thick-trunked eucalyptus trees, the quintessential trees of Australia. When I was hiking down here following the sounds of our lyrebird, I scared up a couple of swamp wallabies. They're a kind of kangaroo. I think this was a female and her nearly grown young one bounding away through the woods. Now our lyrebird still singing, as you can hear. This is a fitting place for a bird as ornate and improbable as the lyrebird among these great eucalyptus trees, the forest-dwelling wallabies and kangaroos, brightly colored parrots. It's also a place of goanna lizards or lace monitors that grow to be six feet long. Our lyrebird now, still on top of his fallen tree and singing, as you can hear, looks for all the world like a pheasant, but bigger and huskier. You might assume that this bird is closely related to the family that includes the pheasants, the turkey, the grouse, 
ptarmigan. But in fact, the lyrebird belongs to the songbird family. It's a huge worldwide family of birds, including familiar ones like our robins, wrens, warblers, jays that we know from North America. The lyrebird is the world's biggest songbird, about three feet long. Half of that is its tail. The males have a spectacular ornate tail. As I can see now, I've moved a little bit closer, walking very carefully to make as little noise as possible as I move along on a bed of eucalyptus leaves. Luckily, it rained last night, so not making very much noise with my feet. I've come onto something. A big mound of brown dirt. Looks like you might be able to pluck away at it with your fingers, but not at all. Listen to it. Hard almost as concrete. It's nearly as tall as I am and shaped like an oversized gravestone, about three feet across the bottom, fairly circular. This is a termite mound. You'll see mounds like this all over Australia. This one's built right against the base of a fallen tree trunk. So the termites are working all inside that tree trunk for their food. Now our male lyrebird, I can see two very long rufous-colored outer tail feathers elegantly curved, making the shape of a lyre, the ancient Greek musical instrument. And that's where this bird gets its name. Now between those two big long outer tail feathers are long, silvery, delicately filamentous feathers, maybe six or eight of them, that are shimmering and shining here in the early morning light in this shadowy forest. Do you hear that? That's the female. She kind of got startled there for a minute, hopefully not by me. She stopped again, but she made her call that they often make when they're somewhat alarmed. Oh, I see. There's another female a little bit farther off. We're about 40 feet from the male and the two females who are busy pecking and eating on the forest floor and scratching away. That other one doing the same thing, but about 30 or 40 yards away. The females are slightly smaller, very long tail feathers, a lot like the male, but they're uniformly dark red, and they don't have that lyre shape. This male lyrebird has been following these two females through the forest, never lets them get very far away. One of the females sometimes circles back to him as if she's kind of curious or interested in him. There are plenty of other lyrebirds in the area. You can hear intermittently now another male lyrebird singing a little bit farther off. I suspect these two males are letting each other know that this is their territory. Now, looking at this amazing bird, you expect unique and spectacular things to be rare, but superb lyrebirds are actually fairly common all along the eastern coast of Australia, from far up in the subtropical north down here into the cool temperate south, wherever you have deep forest still remaining, wherever you have big trees. Lyrebirds spend most of their time walking around in the forest, as ours are doing right now, looking for food, usually near the brushy, ferny, shadowy thickets and gullies with tall tree ferns. They like to have cover. Ah! <laughs> just, just got bitten by one of these forest ants called a jack jumper. Man, that burns. It's a bit like a bee sting. When you stand around in this forest, ant mounds and hills and burrows are everywhere in here. And I just found 
one kind that bites. Ouch! <laughs> now, as I watch our two females scratching vigorously on the forest floor, they have big, long, muscular legs. These birds are built for running. Also, long toes with formidable claws, and they're constantly scratching and raking and scrambling through the thick carpet of leaves and twigs, bark, dirt that's all around us here on the forest floor and everywhere I look this forest has been scraped as if somebody came through here with a rake. They're intense workers these birds. They never just sit around. They're busy from dawn to dusk finding insects, worms, spiders, little frogs, other small critters that they eat. The entire forest floor all around here looks as if it's been excavated and overturned. The earth is laid bare. It's full of divots from these lyrebirds hunting for food. Actually, if we listen right now, the male has stopped singing. You can hear these birds now scratching for their food. This scratching reminds me to say that lyrebirds have also been released on the island of Tasmania, well to the south, much cooler. They were released there in the 1930s and 1940s but now there's a concern about the impact that all this scratching may be having on the forests of Tasmania where there's never been this constant cultivation of the forest floor. Now, here's something interesting. There's a series of little conical, deeper divots. These not made by lyrebirds. I can actually stick my fingers down into them. They're about five or six inches deep in the sandy soil. These are divots made by bandicoots, a small squirrel-sized marsupial, that is an animal that raises its young in a pouch. The bandicoots that also live here in this forest. Our lyrebirds are moving along slowly and I'm gonna keep track with them here. Very lucky that the forest floor is so wet because I'm not alarming them and I'm keeping trees and bushes between myself and these three lyrebirds. One female has wandered off toward that other one in the, a little bit more in the distance. And I'm stopping right now because they've stopped. Lyrebirds are weak flyers. They prefer to stalk among the thickets on foot as these birds are doing right now. Every once in a while you'll see a lyrebird flap up onto low branches or logs or rocks and then glide back down. Yesterday I saw a female up in a tall tree about 60 or 70 feet above the ground. Flew up there with her short, thick, rounded wings. They're not good flyers. Lyrebirds are also extremely shy. That's why I'm having to be so very careful. If these birds spot you, you're too close for their comfort. They're going to dash away at high speed, dodging through the underbrush. Sometimes they'll make a short burst of flight, those wings flailing around as they go. You'll see them do that running across the road sometimes in front of you, making also sometimes shriek alarm calls. Listen to this. I'm going to just ease myself very slowly up onto a big fallen tree trunk here. Going up onto it. Oh yeah, I can really see them back in there. Little open spot. The male doing what the lyrebird does best. If you saw this bird moving through the forest, you might think, wow, there's just a big pheasant-like bird. But then, 
If you hear it doing what it's doing right now, breaking into song, you will realize, man, this is no ordinary bird. It is one of the operatic virtuosos of the bird world. If you're incredibly, almost miraculously lucky, maybe you'll get to see what this bird is doing right now. Our male is in the middle of a little cleared out arena with a kind of a mound in the middle. This is an intentionally created place that lyrebirds make through the forest. When they get to these places, especially during the mating season, and why it's doing it right now, I don't know because we're in the Australian summer and the mating season is during the winter, but it is showing off to this female in an unveiling of absolute physical beauty that accompanies this song by the superb lyrebird. Now this thing could go on for the next 20 minutes or so without interruption if we're lucky. During the entire time, the lyrebird is likely to do what he's doing right now, striking a dramatic posture. He's thrown this long tail up over his head like a fan-shaped parasol, and he's showing the full glory of every feather in that tail, a delicate embroidery of the silvery mid-feathers framed on each side by those two outcurving lyre-shaped russet-colored feathers. Each of those feathers curls out like a fiddlehead, and it has an intense dark blotch at the end, so that each of those big tail feathers looks like it has an eye framing those silver-white feathers. What an extraordinary thing to see. The female is very close to him, but she seems completely nonplussed by what strikes me as one of the great natural performances. Now, lyrebirds will sing all throughout the year, apparently to advertise a claim to their territory, but it reaches a crescendo during the mating season in the middle of the Australian winter. That would be the same time as midsummer in the northern hemisphere. Now, the male has scratched up this big mound of dirt and debris. He might have maybe a dozen of them scattered around his territory here in the forest. He stands on top of this mound, as he's doing right now, to sing and dance and display. The purpose of this is to attract females and to impress them with his magnificence. And oh my goodness, how could you not be impressed by this? And then of course, like so many other glorious extravagances in our world, this one comes down to sex and ultimately to perpetuating the species. Listen to this voice. Watching this lyrebird's complex, ornate, self-aggrandizing display reminds me of nothing so much as my own species, our own elaborations of bright, gaudy, colorful dress, our rituals of dance and other kinds of self-display, and of course the alluring, convoluted songs of our language, played out on our own mating grounds in the cities and in the love nests of our homes, just as these two lyrebirds now romancing here in this Australian forest. This lyrebird's performance is so lurid, so overtly sensual, so dramatically enticing, it fairly makes you blush and breathless. Now the female has abruptly stopped her feeding and literally run up in front of the male who faces her now, strutting mechanically back and forth, turning his body and now shivering 
that extraordinary tail that splayed out like a parasol over its head, shading the lyrebird's own body. And she's now about two feet away from him. Ah, turns away now. As he sings intensely and dramatically, she turns again toward him as if the allure has overtaken her, walks up to him again, and his whole body seems to intensify as he faces toward her. Okay, now, listen to the song. It's a lavish mimicry, interweaving perfectly rendered songs from the lyrebird's surroundings, mostly the songs of other birds that live here in this Southeast Australian forest. Many of those birds have remarkable voices in their own right. Listen again, and I'll tell you about some of the birds I'm hearing in this lyrebird song. Listen. That rich, loud voice, that's the sound of a bird called a carawong, very common here. The size and color of a crow, black, but with white flashes in the wings and tail. Let's listen again. You hear that wailing, crying sound there? That's a perfect imitation of the call of the black cockatoo. It's a big black parrot, about the size of a seagull, long wings and tail. There it is again. And now that whip crack, the unmistakable voice of a whip bird. It's robin-sized with a feather crest on top of its head. And the lyrebird is even putting in the female's chirped, often double reply to the whip sound of the whip bird. And that sort of squawk sound, that's a wattle bird's call. Big bird, size of a jay, imitated again perfectly by this lyrebird. There, one of the many melodious liquid song phrases of the pie butcher bird. Black and white resembles a jay. There it is again. That little thin musical chatter there. That's mimicking a mob of fairy wrens. Hyperactive little perky-tailed birds look very much like our North American wrens. It's another case among hundreds of convergent evolution where Australian birds, completely unrelated to our wrens, have evolved to live in a similar way and to look and even sound similar to our wrens. That rapid-fire screeching sound the lyrebird mimicking parrots. There's lots of colorful, small, noisy parrots. You see them everywhere in Australia, from the outback to the big cities. The lyrebird reflecting back the sounds of its environment. And that high-speed electronic buzzing sound, that's the exotic song of a satin bowerbird, the male shimmering black with violet-blue eyes. The male bowerbird makes a little alleyway of grass, plucks it, sets it up, and he decorates his bower with blue things, feathers, flowers, berries, even bits of blue glass, blue plastic clothespins, and that helps to attract the female, does his little courtship dance and song. 
Interestingly, the bits and pieces that he collects are the same color as those brilliant blue eyes. The bowerbird, another example of gloriously elaborate approaches to romance in the natural world. And right there, the liquid phrases of the pied butcher bird. Oh boy, we're getting our share of, of life in the forest here this morning as the sun is warmed up a little patch of ground, swaggering across it. One of those goanna lizards, or lace monitors, easily five feet long, mottled black color, flicking out its very long forked tongue, sensing the air and the ground. A national park ranger told me something the other day that was very interesting about climate change affecting lyrebirds. Of course, Australia being impacted by global warming, as we are in the far north, Alaska and Canada. Remember I was saying that lyrebirds mate during the winter season? That's the time when they also lay their eggs and raise their young out here in these forests. These big lizards love to eat all sorts of bird eggs and chicks. And what they're doing now is becoming active earlier in the season than they used to. And so the goannas are finding lyrebird nests. Lyrebirds lay a single egg out here on the ground in the forest, so it's very vulnerable. The guana comes along, finds that egg, eats the egg or the chick that's in the nest. And so this park ranger told me he's seeing fewer and fewer lyrebirds around his home. And apparently that's happening because of the guanas and the warming climate. Oh, you hear that? That staccato rattling off. Perfect mimic of a kookaburra bird, largest member of the kingfisher family and perhaps the most iconic Australian bird sound of all. Like in Virtuosa, the lyrebird seems to favor the most difficult and complex and charismatic bird songs for its repertoire. It doesn't pick the ordinary, simple, straightforward ones. It's as if the lyrebird loves those great masterworks of natural music as much as we do, and the lyrebird is doing it right now with such skill that the best way to tell that these sounds are not the original birds, but mimicry is the fact that so many different bird songs are strung seamlessly together. It sounds a bit like a songbird convention. And you hear now, mixed in with this song, whistles, snaps, buzzes, those sounds are uniquely lyrebird. It mixes its own voice together with those of the natural world around it. And another part of the lyrebird's imitative genius is its ability to perfectly mimic human sounds. Car engines, sirens, stuff like squeaky gates, barking dogs. Lyrebirds can do those to perfection. Ours isn't making any of those sounds because we're in a very wild place where it doesn't hear those sounds. I have some friends who live in the mountain country east of Sydney, and they told me, well, we were sitting out on the deck, and we kept hearing the phone ring, and we'd run inside the house, and nobody there, just a dial tone. Finally, they discovered that it was a lyrebird, and it had perfected the ringing sound of their telephone. Walking toward our lyrebird. Oh, we're pretty close to him now. Oh, the male has fluttered up onto another fallen tree trunk. The sound of his own singing will hopefully cover up the sound of my voice. I'm just moved up behind a tree here and peeking around it. Oh my goodness. Evolutionary biologists are often challenged to explain why 
a species like the lyrebird would carry an idea to such extremes, in this case, this bewilderingly elaborated song, and the ornate gaudiness of that tail and strutting, shivering ritual display. How come the lyrebird didn't settle for a nice little utilitarian ditty of some kind and a few distinctively tinted feathers? Why wouldn't that do the job? Well, with evolution, you have literally millions of years, every generation of males like our lyrebird right now, competing for the attention of females who favor that exquisitely fancy look, who favor the best impresario, who love the finest flourish of dance and quiver. And this is what happens through that tremendous span of time, the process of natural selection. It's about as well documented as gravity and the fact that the Earth is round, that this is how our natural world functions over time. But ultimately, why does the lyrebird follow its evolutionary path so different from that of the fairy wren, the bowerbird, our own northern ravens or stellar jays? Nobody knows the answer to that. Maybe there is no answer. Perhaps nothing at all guides the ultimate course of an animal's evolution. Or perhaps evolution is God's own ongoing, endless, creative process. Maybe we're still living in those seven days of creation spoken of in the Bible. Or possibly the course of an animal's evolution and development is directed as the native elders from many cultures in Alaska and the Canadian North teach by powers like that of the great raven, the coyote, or the rainbow serpent of Australian Aboriginal tradition. Well, to be honest, I'm a lot less interested in solving these mysteries than I am in savoring them. I don't know why there are rainbows inside an abalone shell. I don't know why salmon have perfected a mind-boggling transoceanic migration. And I don't know why a lyrebird doesn't look and sound as plain as a pigeon. I'm just glad and grateful that out of nature come these incredible things, including this Mardi Gras flourish of our lyrebird's tail and his amazing voice that's pouring up now into the morning from an Australian gum tree forest. Well, as astonishing and magnificent as this sound is, I have to ask myself, is this really, as so many have suggested, the most beautiful bird song in the entire world? I think it's pretty hard to say. Every wild place on the earth has its own wonderful voices that bring up the dawns and celebrate the ends of the day. What makes a bird song beautiful, I think, above everything else, is the fact that we are here and we are listening. We're letting this wild music saturate our souls, connect us to our places on earth, whatever those songs might be, weaving our lives together with the lives around us. The beauty of a bird song, I think, is in the way that we love it. And how could you not love this sound? Well, I'm going to stay here and keep on listening. For Encounters in the Lyrebird Forest of Australia, I'm Richard Nelson. I want to thank you so much for your good company and a heartfelt word of gratitude to these lyrebirds for letting us stay here with them this morning. I'll see you next time.
Encounters is a production of the Island Institute and KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited and produced by Lisa Bush, special consulting from Ken Fate, theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation and by the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, the North Pacific Research Board, and Robert Osborne, Jerry Cohn, Martha Wyckoff, and Sue Cohen. For more information about the show and to hear podcasts, go to EncountersNorth.org.